0: Section eighteen of Shirley by Charlotte Bronte. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, which the genteel reader is recommended to skip. Low persons being here introduced. The evening was still and warm, close and sultry. It even promised to become round the descending sun the clouds glowed purple summer tints rather indian than english suffused the horizon and cast rosy reflections on hillside house front tree bold on winding road and undulating pasture ground the two girls came down from the fields slowly by the time they reached the churchyard the bells were hushed the multitudes were gathered into the church the whole scene was solitary how pleasant and calm it is said caroline and how hot it will be in the church responded shirley and what a dreary long speech dr boltby will make and how the curates will hammer over their prepared orations for my part i would rather not enter but my uncle will be angry if he observes our absence i will bear the brunt of his wrath he will not devour me i shall be sorry to miss his pungent speech i know it will be all sense for the church and all causticity for schism he'll not forget the battle of royd lane i shall be sorry also to deprive you of mr hall's sincere friendly homily with all its racy yorkshireisms but here i must stay the grey church and grayer tombs look divine with this crimson gleam on them nature is now at her evening prayers she is kneeling before those red hills i see her prostrate on the great steps of her altar praying for a fair night for mariners at sea for travellers in deserts for lambs on moors and unfledged birds in woods caroline i see her and i will tell you what she is like she is like what eve was when she and adam stood alone on earth and that is not milton's eve surely milton's eve milton's eve i repeat no by the pure mother of god she is not carrie we are alone we may speak what we think milton was great but was he good his brain was right how was his heart he saw heaven he looked down on hell he saw satan and sin his daughter and death their horrible offspring angels serried before him their battalions the long lines of adamantine shields flashed back on his blind eyeballs the unutterable splendor of heaven devils gathered their legions in his sight their dim, ground and tarnished armies passed rank and file before him milton tried to see the first woman but Carry he saw her not you are bold to say so surely not more bold than faithful it was his cook that he saw or it was mrs gill as i have seen her making custards in the heat of summer in the cool dairy with rose-trees and nasturtiums about the latticed window preparing a cold collation for the rectors preserves and dulcet creams puzzled what choice to choose for delicacy best what order so contrived as not to mix tastes not well joined inelegant but bring taste after taste upheld with kindliest change all very well too surely i would beg to remind him that the first men of the earth were titans and that eve was their mother from her sprang saturn hyperion oceanus she bore prometheus pagan that you are what does that signify i say there were giants on the earth in those days giants that strove to scale heaven the first woman's breast that heaved with life on this world yielded the daring which could contend with omnipotence the strength which could bear a thousand years of bondage the vitality which could feed that vulture death through uncounted ages the unexhausted life and uncorrupted excellence sisters to immortality which after millenniums of crimes struggles and woes could conceive and bring forth the messiah the first woman was heaven born vast was the heart whence gushed the well-spring of the blood of nations and grand the undegenerate head where rested the consort crown of creation she coveted an apple and was cheated by a snake but you have got such a hash of scripture and mythology into your head that there is no making any sense of you You have not yet told me what you saw kneeling on those hills i saw i now see a woman titan her robe of blue air spreads to the outskirts of the heath where yonder flock is grazing a veil white as an avalanche sweeps from her head to her feet and arabesques of lightning flame on its borders under her breast i see her zone purple like that horizon through its blush shines the star of evening her steady eyes i cannot picture they are clear they are deep as lakes they are lifted and full of worship they tremble with the softness of love and the lustre of prayer her forehead has the expanse of a cloud and is paler than the early moon risen long before dark gathers she reclines her bosom on the ridge of stillbro Moor. her mighty hands are joined beneath it so kneeling face to face she speaks with god that eve is jehovah's daughter as adam was his son she is very vague and visionary come surely, we ought to go into church caroline i will not i will stay out here with my mother eve in these days called nature i love her undying mighty being heaven may have faded from her brow when she fell in paradise but all that is glorious on earth shines there still she is taking me to her bosom and showing me her heart hush caroline you will see her and feel as i do if we are both silent i will humour your whim but you will begin talking again ere ten minutes are over miss kildar on whom the soft excitement of the warm summer evening seemed working with unwonted power leaned against an upright headstone she fixed her eyes on the deep burning west and sank into a pleasurable trance caroline going a little apart paced to and fro beneath the rectory garden wall dreaming too in her way shirley had mentioned the word mother that word suggested to caroline's imagination not the mighty and mystical parent of shirley's visions but a gentle human form the form she ascribed to her own mother unknown unloved but not unlonged for oh that the day would come when she would remember her child oh that i might know her and knowing love her such was her aspiration the longing of her childhood filled her soul again the desire which many a night had kept her awake in her crib and which fear of its fallacy had of late years almost extinguished relit suddenly and glowed warm in her heart that her mother might come some happy day and send for her to her presence look upon her fondly with loving eyes and say to her tenderly in a sweet voice caroline my child i have a home for you you shall live with me all the love you have needed and not tasted from infancy i have saved for you carefully come it shall cherish you now a noise on the road roused caroline from her filial hopes and surely from her titan visions they listened and heard the tramp of horses they looked and saw glitter through the trees they caught through the foliage glimpses of martial scarlet helm shone plume waved silent and orderly six soldiers rode softly by the same we saw this afternoon whispered shirley they have been halting somewhere till now they wish to be as little noticed as possible and are seeking their rendezvous at this quiet hour while the people are at church did i not say we should see unusual things ere long scarcely were sight and sound of the soldiers lost when another and somewhat different disturbance broke the night hush a child's impatient scream they looked a man issued from the church carrying in his arms an infant a robust ruddy little boy of some two years old roaring with all the power of his lungs he had probably just awaked from a church sleep two little girls of nine and ten followed the influence of the fresh air and the attraction of some flowers gathered from a grave soon quieted the child the man sat down with him dandling him on his knee as tenderly as any woman the two little girls took their places one on each side good evening william said shirley after due scrutiny of the man he had seen her before and apparently was waiting to be recognized he now took off his hat and grinned a smile of pleasure he was a rough-headed hard-featured personage not old but very weather-beaten his attire was decent and clean that of his children singularly neat it was our old friend farron the young ladies approached him you are not going into the church she inquired gazing at them complacently yet with a mixture of bashfulness in his look a sentiment not by any means the result of awe of their station but only of appreciation of the elegance and youth before gentlemen such as moore or Hellstone, for instance william was often a little dogged with proud or insolent ladies too he was quite unmanageable sometimes very resentful but he was most sensible of most tractable to good-humour and civility his nature a stubborn one was repelled by inflexibility in other natures for which reason he had never been able to like his former master more and unconscious of that gentleman's good opinion of himself and of the service he had secretly rendered him in recommending him as gardener to mr york and by this means to other families in the neighbourhood he continued to harbour a grudge against his austerity latterly he had often worked at fieldhead miss kildar's frank hospitable manners were perfectly charming to him caroline he had known from her childhood unconsciously she was his ideal of a lady her gentle mien step gestures her grace of person and attire moved some artist fibres about his peasant heart he had a pleasure in looking at her as he had in examining rare flowers or in seeing pleasant landscapes both the ladies liked william it was their delight to lend him books to give him plants and they preferred his conversation far before that of many coarse hard pretentious people immeasurably higher in station who was speaking william when you came out asked shirley a gentleman ye set a deal of store on miss shirley mr dunn? you look knowing william how did you find out my regard for mr dunn ay miss shirley there's a gleg light a year e'en sometimes which betrays you you look rae down scornful sometimes when mr dunn is by do you like him yourself william me i'm stalled ut a curious, and so is t wife they've no manners they talk to poor folk fair as if they thought they were beneath them they are allus magnifying their office it is a pity but their office could magnify them but it does not at a sort i fair hate pride but you are proud in your own way yourself interposed caroline you are what you call house-proud you like to have everything handsome about you sometimes you look as if you were almost too proud to take your wages when you were out of work you were too proud to get anything on credit but for your children i believe you would rather have starved than gone to the shops without money and when i wanted to give you something what a difficulty i had in making you take it it is partly true miss caroline only day i'd rather give than take especially from sich as ye look at t difference between us ye're a little young slender lass and i'm a great strong man i'm rather more nor twice your age it is not my part then i think to tack fro ye to be under obligations as they say to ye and that day ye came to our house and called me to de door and offered me five shillings which i doubt ye could ill spare for ye've no fortin i know that day i wore fair a rebel a radical an insurrectionist and ye made me so i thought it shameful that willing and able as i was to work i should be in such a condition that a young crater about the age of my old eldest lass should think it needful to come and offer me her bit of brass i suppose you were angry with me william i almost was in a way but i forgave ye very soon ye meant well i am proud and so are ye but your pride and mine is rate mac what we call a yorkshire clean pride such as mr malone and mr Dunn knows naught about There's is mucky pride now i shall teach my lasses to be as proud as miss shirley there and my lads to be as proud as myself but i dare only i am to be like to curates it lick little michael if i seed him show any signs of that feeling what is the difference william ye know t difference weelly now but ye want me to git gate a talkin mr malone and mr dunn is almost too proud to do aught for theirseln we are almost too proud to let anybody do aught for us to curates can hardly bide to speak a civil word to them; they think beneath them. We can hardly bide to take an uncivil word from them that thinks themselves a boon us. Now, William, be humble enough to tell me truly how you are getting on in the world. Are you well off, Miss Shirley? I am very well off since I got into the gardening line with Mister Yorke's help, and since Mister Hall, another utter rate sort help my wife to set up a bit of a shop i've nought to complain of my family has plenty to eat and plenty to wear my pride makes me find means to have an odd pound now and then against rainy days for i think i'd die afore i'd come to de parish and me and mine is content but to neighbors is poor yet i see a great deal of distress and consequently there is still discontent i suppose inquired miss gildar consequently ye say right consequently in course, starving folk cannot be satisfied or settled folk the country's not in a safe condition i'll say so mitch but what can be done what more can i do for instance do ye can do not mitch poor young lass ye've gin your brass ye've done well if ye could transport your tent mr moore to botany bay ye'd happen do better folks hate him william for shame exclaimed caroline warmly if folks do hate him it is to their disgrace not his mr moore himself hates nobody he only wants to do his duty and maintain his rights you are wrong to talk so i talk as i think he has a cold unfeeling heart yond moore but interposed Shirley. supposing moore was driven from the country and his mill raised to the ground would people have more work they'd have less i know that and they know that and there is many an honest lad driven desperate by the certainty that whichever way he turns he cannot better himself and there is dishonest men plenty to guide them to the devil scoundrels that reckons to be the people's friends and that knows naught about the people and is as insincere as lucifer I'd lived a boon forty year in the world and i believe that the people will never have an, any true friends but their self and them two or three good folk in different stations that is friends to all the world human nature taking it in the lump is naught but selfishness it is but excessive few it is but just an exception here and there now and then such as ye two young uns and me that being in a different sphere can understand to one t'other and be friends without slavishness on one hand or pride on t'other them that reckons to be friends to a lower class than their own fro political motives is never to be trusted they always try to make their inferiors tools for my own part i will neither be patronized nor misled for no man's pleasure i've had overtures made to me lately that i saw were treacherous and i flung em back in the faces of them that offered em you won't tell us what overtures i will not it would do no good it would make no difference them they concern can look after their sound we's look after we're said another voice joe scott had sauntered forth from the church to get a breath of fresh air and there he stood i'll warrant ye joe observed william smiling and i'll warrant my maister was the answer young ladies continued joe assuming a lordly air ye'd better go into the house i wonder what for inquired shirley to whom the overlookers pragmatical manners were familiar and who was often at war with him for joe holding supercilious theories about women in general resented greatly in his secret soul the fact of his master and his master's mill being in a manner under petticoat government and had felt as wormwood and gall certain business visits of the heirs to the hollows counting-house because there is not a gate that fits women to be concerned in indeed there is prayer and preaching a gate in that church are we not concerned in that ye have been present neither at the prayer nor preaching ma'am if i have observed aright what i alluded to was politics william farron here was touching on that subject if i'm not mistaken well what then politics are our habitual study joe do you know i see a newspaper every day and two of a sunday i should think you'll read the marriages probably miss and the murders and the accidents and such like i read the leading articles joe and the foreign intelligence and i look over the market prices and short i read just what gentlemen read joe looked as if he thought this talk was like the chattering of a pie he replied to it by a disdainful silence joe continued miss gildar i never yet could ascertain properly whether you are a whig or a tory pray which party has the honour of your alliance it is rather difficult to explain where you are sure not to be understood was joe's haughty response but as to being a tory i'd as soon be an old woman or a young one which is a more flimsier article still it is the tories that carries on the war and ruins trade and if i be of any party though political parties is all nonsense i'm of that which is most favourable to peace and by consequence to the mercantile interests of this here land so am i joe replied shirley who had rather a pleasure in teasing the overlooker by persisting in talking on subjects with which she opined she as a woman had no right to meddle partly at least i have rather a leaning to the agricultural interest too as good reason is seeing that i don't desire england to be under the feet of france and that if a share of my income comes from hollows mill a larger share comes from the landed estate around it it would not do to take any measures injurious to the farmers joe i think the dews at this hour is unwholesome for females observed joe if you make that remark out of interest in me i have merely to assure you that i am impervious to cold i should not mind taking my turn to watch the mill one of these summer nights armed with your musket joe joe scott's chin was always rather prominent he poked it out at this speech some inches farther than usual but to go back to my sheep she proceeded clothier and mill owner as i am besides farmer i cannot get out of my head a certain idea that we manufacturers and purses of business are sometimes a little a very little selfish and short-sighted in our views and rather too regardless of human suffering rather heartless in our pursuit of gain. don't you agree with me joe i cannot argue where i cannot be comprehended was again the answer man of mystery your master will argue with me sometimes joe he is not so stiff as you are maybe not we've all our own ways joe do you seriously think all the wisdom in the world is lodged in male skulls i think that women are a kittle and a froward generation and i've a great respect for the doctrines delivered in the second chapter of st paul's first epistle to timothy what doctrines joe let the woman learn in silence with all subjection i suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man but to be in silence for adam was first formed then eve what has that to do with the business interjected shirley that smacks of rights of primogeniture i'll bring it up to mr yorke the first time he invades against those rights and continued joe Scott. adam was not deceived but the woman being deceived was in the transgression more ashamed to adam to sin with his eyes open cried miss gildar to confess the honest truth joe i never was easy in my mind concerning that chapter it puzzles me it is very plain miss he that runs may read he may read it in his own fashion remarked caroline now joining in the dialogue for the first time you allow the right of private judgment i suppose joe my certainty that i do i allow and claim it for every line of the holy book women may exercise it as well as men nay women is to take their husbands opinion both in politics and religion its wholesomeness for them oh oh exclaimed both shirley and caroline to be sure no doubt aunt persisted the stubborn overlooker consider yourself grown down and cried shame over for such a stupid observation said miss gildar you might as well say men are to take the opinions of their priests without examination of what value would a religion so adopted be it would be mere blind besotted superstition and what is your reading miss Helstone? are these words of st paul's Hem my i account for them in this way he wrote that chapter for a particular congregation of christians under peculiar circumstances and besides i dare say if i could read the original greek i should find that many of the words have been wrongly translated perhaps misapprehended altogether it would be possible i doubt not with a little ingenuity to give the passage quite a contrary turn to make it say let the woman speak out whenever she sees fit to make an objection it is permitted to a woman to teach and to exercise authority as much as may be man meantime cannot do better than hold his peace and so on that will n't wash miss i dare say it will my notions are dyed in faster colours than yours joe mr scott you are a thoroughly dogmatical person and always were i like william better than you joe is well enough in his own house said shirley i have seen him as quiet as a lamb at home there is not a better nor a kinder husband in briarfield he does not dogmatize to his wife my wife is a hard-working plain woman time and trouble has taken all the conceit out of her but that is not the case with you young missus and then you reckon to have so much knowledge and in my thoughts it's only superficial sort of vanities you're acquainted with i can tell happen a year sin one day miss caroline coming into our counting-house when i wore packing up summit behind t great desk and she didn't see me and she brought a slate wi a sum on it to-to master it were only a bit of sum in practice that our harry would have settled in two minutes she couldn't do it mr moore had to show her how and when he did show her she couldn't understand him nonsense joe nay it's no nonsense and miss shirley there reckons to hearken to-to master when he's talkin o'er trade so attentive like as if she followed him word for word and all war as clear as a lady's looking-glass to her e'en and all the while she's peeping and peeping out of the window to see if the mare stands quiet and then looking at a bit of a splash on her riding skirt and then glancing glugly round at where counting-house cobwebs and dust and thinking what mucky folk we are and what a grand ride she'll have just in now ower mentally common she hears no more of mr moore's talk nor if he spake hebrew joe you are a real slanderer i would give you your answer only the people are coming out of church we must leave you Man of prejudice good-bye William good-bye, children, come up to Fieldhead to-morrow, and you shall choose what you like best out of Mrs. Gill's storeroom end of section eighteen.